Welcome in 8x80 Podcast, Austin Ham, Tyler Smith, and we are into our second playoff preview show, this time going through the first round of Class D2. If you're looking for D1, go back in the podcast feed. We just recorded that one, and that one's posted live. If you're looking for our Week 8 recap, go back a little bit further. Our Nebraska Talk Radio recap is posted live in the podcast feed as well. The Tyler, we're just going to keep trucking on. we got a good 90, probably close to... I guess it's about two hours, two and a half hours or so of content that we're getting cranked out here for everybody tonight. Yeah, it's been a span of just a couple of days um, with these Thursday night kickoffs. So um, essentially we're overloading our early week and then uh, get to kind of relax Wednesday night before the, before the playoffs, taking a bunch of game, as many games as we can Thursday night. Um, and then maybe we can relax for 24 hours or so before we dive right back into round two. But um been a been a frenzy last couple of days getting these D1 and D2 matchups as well as the week eight recap all put together. But um, we're on the home stretch. Um, if you missed how we're kind of laying it out, um, we're going to just run through the east just like you're looking at it on a bracket. Um, and then we'll get down to the west, um, run through that same way. So if you're the number two seeds, you got to kind of hang with us a little bit. Um, other than that, I think we'll just dive right into it, Austin. Yep, and we'll just kick it off with the East number one seed, Johnson Brock Eagles, 8-0, taking on number 16, Winside, and Winside's 3-5, and five, and this is actually a rematch of last year's first round, and listen, Winside played a lot of really awesome teams on their schedule, why not play one more? Um, but Johnson Brock, obviously, with Sloan Pelican, Chase Van Winkle, uh, Hayden Gravitt, they've been absolutely awesome this season, um, certainly deserving of that top seed, but them getting that top seed and with their location being just kind of tucked down into that southeast corner there with what they've got for a field with the 80-yard turf, with the natural stadium, with the kind of dirt, with the grass hillside kind of surrounding it on a couple of sides there. They've got a really unique home field, and I feel like forcing teams to come down there for the majority of this playoff run is probably going to actually be really to the Eagles' benefit. Yeah, anytime you can kind of factor in a little bit of drive time, um, especially early on in the playoffs, is it's going to be beneficial, like you talked about. If you're not used to playing on turf, um, that's another benefit that goes into the Eagles' back pocket. So um, a lot of benefits. Um, we've we've talked a lot about how much we like um, the way Sloan Pelicans ran this offense, how he's gotten um, Van Winkle involved, um, what they've been able to do against the good opponents. I mean – Really, they have looked extremely impressive um, all season, especially against uh, Lord Central Catholic and then BDS as well. Um, really just kind of answering every test that's gotten put in front of them, which is how they find themselves in that number one spot. Um, this Winside team, I've got to see them in person. They've played a really tough schedule um, against some really good teams. I mean, you've got Bloomfield early on in the season. You've got Howells Dodge. You've got uh, Why Not as well. Um, just some really good teams that Winsides had to go through um, just to kind of scrape together. These three wins has been um, impressive. Any chance in this game that they're going to have, they've got to really get um, their senior Caden Hunt involved, um, and he's going to have to kind of create some really explosive plays. But I really think the Eagles just have too much going for them in this one, um, despite the fact that Winsides been able to kind of be battle-tested against all those teams. They just really haven't kind of answered um, those tests in what we're deeming as probably game of the week 
Um, it's certainly game of round one um, in our eight nine matchup here over here in the east. We've got number eight Bloomfield at six and two hosting number nine Howells Dodge, also six and two. Um, listen, if you told anybody across the state that knows anything about eight man football that Bloomfield and Howells Dodge were going to be playing, they would not suspect that it would be in round one. Um, this might be one of the best first round matchups that I've seen in a while. This is an awesome awesome game both these teams i'm sure we're kind of keeping an eye on each other last season as they went through the postseason um just kind of the corner of their eye as they were both um in the semifinals bloomfield taking on hitchcock county which they eventually fell to um and then howells dodge advancing um to take on hitchcock county where they eventually fell and became the state runner up in d2 so i'm sure through passing these teams were kind of keeping an eye on each other not super far apart so it's interesting that really not in any recent years that these two teams have played, um, despite the fact that they've both been extremely solid. Um, Bloomfield currently longest streak um, with Fall City Sacred Heart falling out of the playoffs um, for playoff streaks. So they're at 36 years in a row. Howells Dodge before the co-op. I mean, you, you factor in all the championships. Howells won, Dodges won, and then you combine that with what the co-op has been able to do in terms of championships um and state runner-ups probably towards the top especially an eight man so a lot of a lot of history involved in both of these teams shame that this is going to be a, a week or a round one matchup because these are two really really talented teams that i think could make deep playoff runs um especially if they get the the right matchups um but this one this one's gonna be a lot of fun love the fact that it's in my backyard um i'm gonna be able to catch every little bit of this game yeah, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. And it's one that caught, like you said, anybody that knows anything about this D2 bracket, that's when they saw this matchup, they got excited because this one is absolutely outstanding. And it really should be a fantastic competitive game all the way through. I mean, there's a few things you look at schematically and just the X's and O's stuff that I know you and I are, and certainly other people are probably keeping an eye on. You look at Hal's Dodge's two losses against Why Not against Humphrey St. Francis and they against why not certainly the pass defense looked like it was a little bit suspect and they were weren't really able to control control the Blue Devils Carson Weasler went absolutely insane in that game at receiving for the Blue Devils but then even against uh St. Francis St. Francis really struggled for a large portion of this game but then when it came down to it Carson Wessel was able to find Gavin Geilenkirk and four big plays for big chunk yardage through the air, and they were able to get things done in that manner. So it'll be interesting to see if Bloomfield, who has thrown the ball a little bit more here and has done it effectively these last couple of weeks, if they look to test Howell's dodge in that way, or if this is going to just be a line them up and see who can knock them down. Because when you think about how these two teams have, have played stylistically across the last 20 or so years, that would be the expectation is that you're going to be see some big fellas line up across from each other and we're just going to see who can push harder. And so this could be one of there's, there's some interesting schematic things, but this could also just wind up being one of the more fun physical games that you're ever going to get to watch. Right. And, and realistically, these two teams want to do a lot of similar things. They, they like to keep it on the ground. They like to hang their hat on the defense. Um, Really, I think I have to kind of lean a little bit in Bloomfield's favor in this one due to the fact that they were able to kind of get some things going in the past game um, against why not. Um, 
as well as kind of earlier on in the season. So if they're able to kind of take advantage of what might be a little bit of a suspect um, pass defense in Howell's Dodge, if they're able to take advantage of that, a um, couple explosive plays in that one could could make the deciding factor in this one. Um, but if Howell's Dodge is able to get the lead, the way that that run game is able to go kind of ground out, grind out some drives and the way that defense is able to rally to the ball, um, you can also see them kind of put this game away by turning out a lot of the clock in this one. Awesome, awesome matchup. Um, we talked about it in the D1 episode. Um, there's a helmet thread going out of all the D1, D2 helmets um, out there in terms of their matchups. I actually favor the Howells Dodge helmet. I think that's one of the best helmets in eight-man, let alone maybe even one of the best helmets in the state. Um, and... I mean, the bees helmet is extremely traditional. People know it. Um, also an awesome helmet. So this this is uh, game of the week and also helmet game of the week in terms of my eyes. Yeah, I mean, the, the navy blue with script bees, obviously you and I are kind of suckers for it just from our history, but it's a classic, classic look that's obviously been around for 36 plus years now. And Howl's Dodge, the matte black with the chrome Jaguar, like that, yeah, that's sick. It's absolutely sick. Awesome to see. So it's fun when you get awesome, awesome uniforms, awesome matchup. Like you said, pretty much hands down game of the week. It looks like here in D1 or D2. Uh, next game up is the number four Humphrey St. Francis Flyers. They are seven and one taking on number 13 Fullerton, who is four and four. And we've been singing the praises of this St. Francis defense, especially as the season has come along, even with all the young guys that they've got in so many important spots. Um, this is a Fullerton rushing attack that I, I really just enjoy kind of how they move some guys around and it can attack you in different ways. So it's been a pretty uneven season for the Warriors, but I am interested to see how that rushing attack can, you know, the different looks that they can throw at St. Francis and maybe just, you know, giving a young team, uh, an interesting new test for them to try to sharpen themselves up to see if they can pull together for a playoff run. Yeah. Uh, like you talked about, we've been singing the Flyers' praises, um, especially that young core of uh, Gavin Galen, Kirkin, and Carson Wessel at that quarterback spot. Um, we've really kind of seen seen them grow up a lot this this season, um, especially in that why not game earlier on in the season um, where they ended up falling, had a chance to go down down the field and win it, um, and then how they were able to kind of come back against Howells, like you talked about, were behind for most of that game. We're able to do it with a kick return and then and get things going in the passing game. Um, really kind of develop some explosive explosive type plays. So if they're able to kind of rely on their run run game, um, mix in some play action, get some of those explosive plays, and then the way that this defense has played all season, they could they could be really really dangerous come playoffs. Um, to where I would not be surprised at all if those if the young flyers kind of make a deep run. Um, really been a lot of fun to kind of watch that young core grow, especially with kind of the older guys they've got developing um, there, especially up front. So a um, lot, of, lot of fun there to kind of just see the growth and development of kids um, and see some, see some new faces kind of emerge um, in, in terms of who we see going to be really productive in years to come. Um, but yeah, I think the Flyers are just going to be able to kind of take care of business in this one. Um, Fullerton with with their young team as well. Um, they're going to have to do a lot of growing up um, in this game in order to um, 
kind of keep it competitive um, with a hope to kind of come out on top. In the next matchup, we've got the number five, uh, Nebraska City Lords Central Catholic at seven and one. They're going to be taking on High Plains, who's five and three at that 12 seed. Um, Lawrence got off to a really hot start, um, really kind of caught us off guard a little bit to where um, right when right when we started paying attention was right when they kind of got into the meat of their schedule. Um, Nolan Beckard um, has been really good for that LCC offense. Um, High, High Plains doesn't really have any bad losses on their schedule. They pushed Osceola to the wire just a couple weeks ago, um, who we'll get to here in just a little bit. So um if high plains is able to kind of move the ball on the ground um with urkowski and helgoth um are they able to kind of limit what's going on with that lcc offense both teams like to kind of run the ball um keep keep things going that way to where you're you're not seeing a lot of explosive plays out of either team here so you could really kind of see this as um, if both teams are running the ball, um, hanging their hat on their defense, where clock becomes a factor to where this could be a lower scoring game than uh, people expect. Right. I think it's a matter of those explosive plays. And if either of these teams can find them, they'll have a chance to maybe get out to a lead that they can hold on to. But if particularly I think about uh, Lords, if Nolan Beckard isn't making big time splash plays offensively, uh, through the air or with his legs, I I worry that they're not going to be still can win the game without that. But I think if they don't have that, they're going to be in for a heck of a fight here with the high plane storm. Uh, the number three team in the East is the Central Valley Cougars. They are taking on number 14 Wausau. Central Valley's eight no Wausau's four and four. Little bit of little bit of surprise really to me with Central Valley um, actually being able to go east this year. Uh, so that just shows you a little bit more east-west balance that we've got this year as opposed to years past. But former Wausau head coach Chip Bartos now at Central Valley. He gets to host his old team in the Vikings. But, I mean, we've been talking about Central Valley all year long. They've been absolutely bulldozing anybody who gets in front of them. Grady Kelly was a monster running the ball this year. But they've still got Dirk Nikolai at quarterback. They've still got Zayden Wolf. They've still got Tyson Soto. They've got... So many talented guys. There's a reason that they're just absolutely running it up on everybody that they play. I don't see a way that Wausau is positioned to slow them down, but Wausau's got some talent themselves. I mean, you think about Matt Schindler and Matt Carlson, two of the most exciting and productive freshmen that we've got going this season. There is a chance that those guys could make the splash plays. Maybe they could steal a couple scores, but this looks like, Central Valley is just going to absolutely keep this momentum rolling into the playoffs. Yeah, and seeing the way that Wausau was um, kind of gashed by some some big splash type plays, um, especially on the ground in that Bloomfield matchup, um, really makes me think that the Central Valley offense is going to be able to kind of get things going, especially on the ground um, in this one. Like you talked about, you got Matthew Schindler and Matt Carlson who are who have been able to make some splash plays, um, especially Schindler in the special teams um, aspect of if he's able to get into space, he can be dangerous. I mean, we've seen it in multiple games, um, ripped off about a 40-yard uh, kick return against that Bloomfield team that's been really solid defensively. So um, if, if Wausau wants to have a chance in this game, I think it's got to come in the form of Schindler getting loose on a, on a kick return, on a punt return, something like that, 
or maybe uh, Central Valley puts the ball in the air and it ends up being a pick six, some, something along those lines, some sort of kind of wild explosive play is, is going to be what kind of keeps Wausau in this one. Um, and they're going to need a lot out of their upperclassmen as well. I mean, we talk about the freshman a lot, but um, older brother to Matt Carlson, um, Cash Carlson's going to have to be big, um, especially on defense. And then uh, Tucker Wright as well is going to have to come up extremely clutch for the Vikings in this one um, just to kind of keep it close. And then, um, like I talked about, any any sort of splash play is what you're looking for if you're the Vikings. Um, and And really... You got to kind of think future as well. This is good experience for these underclassmen um, getting getting into the playoffs when it, at first it might look like they might not make playoffs. Um, so getting in and then getting to hit a big road trip where these kids aren't used to it um, against a really solid team. Um, you'll, you'll really get to see next year how those kids respond, especially in the offseason of, hey, we don't want to go on the road anymore um, in the first round of playoffs. And we definitely don't want to be. Um, the underdog through the playoffs so get to see a little bit of resolve from from the underclassmen um good learning experience for them as well in our 6-11 game we've got elgin public pope john in that six seed um they're six and two on the season um and in the 11 you've got lawrence nelson who's also six and two eppj really benefited from um beating Wausau in week zero as they rescheduled that Osmond game that would have been a forfeit. Um, if they'd have kept that game as a forfeit, they would have been kind of punished for it. Um, as you see with Bloomfield, where they got they got kind of punished for it, they they might have actually flip-flopped spots if that was the case, if Elgin wouldn't have uh, gotten that Wausau game rescheduled. Um, and then the fact that they were able to go on the road to Wausau and win that game in week zero really benefited them um, in terms of the PowerPoints. Their only two losses come to ranked opponents in Humphrey St. Francis and Ainsworth, who we'll get to here in just a little bit. So no true bad losses. Um, that Ainsworth game got extremely lopsided in a hurry. So um, in terms of bad losses, we're not really talking points wise. We're talking opponents wise. Um, these two teams actually for both being in the East have zero common opponents. Um, so interesting to see that where they didn't face anybody on the same schedule. That's just geographic factors coming into it. Um, this is two teams that I could see matching up well in terms of what they want to do, um, especially offensively. Um, but really, I think EPPJ's physicality up front, especially um, when you factor in like Blake Hen, Dylan Luking, um, and then... Um, the Beckman kid as well. I think they've, they've just got a lot of physicality up front that's just going to be too much for the Raiders of Lawrence Nelson. Yeah, I see it really, really similarly. And, I mean, you talked about EPPJ getting that benefit. And, I mean, mathematically, that Wausau finishing 4-4 four and four means that they turned what in the forfeit would have been a Division Four win from a PowerPoints perspective, and that bumps the Division Four win to a Division Three win. And that's just, again, just meaningful when you're talking about these teams that finish with six, seven, eight wins, that additional that additional bump in terms of your PowerPoints, when you're talking about finishing with 43-plus, with a 43-plus average on PowerPoints, a Division Four win 
hurts you. So taking that from an from a forfeit, if you're able to find a way out of that, like EPPJ was with getting Wausau scheduled, obviously they're seeing the benefit of it, and they've got themselves as a six seed. They've got themselves a home game in, again, what looks like it could be a really competitive one. So you know that the Wolfpack are happy to be able to have this one on their home turf. Lawrence Nelson is just never going to be a pushover team, though. Even on down years, I mean, a hand, I think it was 2018, they were kind of the Cinderella story run. This is just a team that's always, always, always going to get in there and can and give you everything they've absolutely got. So I think Elgin's going to be in for an absolute fight on this one. But I do just from the physicality, from the size, from this particularly, you think about guys like Blake Hen and Dylan Luking and what, how they can affect the ball game. I just... It, I'm with you on the EPPJ lean here on this one. The 7-10 in the East, that is the number seven Osceola Bulldogs at 7-1, and one, hosting the number 10 Bruning Davenport Shickley Eagles at 6-2. and two. And this is one that pretty much everybody's kind of circled as an upset alert. Now, it's a 7-10, so you're not talking a massive upset. It's not a massive stretch there either, but a lot of people are looking at this one. Osceola, quality re- quality record, obviously 7-1, and one, that only loss being a bit of a blowout that they suffered at the hands of St. Francis. BDS losses to Johnson, Brock, and Lord, so no real shame in those ones either. But this is a big, strong, physical BDS team. This is an Osceola team that has played well but isn't super deep and has been banged up at times. So it's kind of easy to see how people are getting there, seeing the idea of, oh, yeah, I think BDS could go on the road and pull this one off. Certainly, um, Last half of the season, Bruni Davenport Shickley's defense has not been as awesome as it was when they opened the season with three straight shutouts. But this is a program that knows how to win in the playoffs. You never, ever, ever want to write them off. They've been just so productive in the postseason these last couple of years. And for Osceola, like we meant, like I said, not as deep, not as varied of an offense. So it becomes the question we've had about Osceola all season long. How far can Cale Gustafson carry them? BDS is going to be a team that's ready for their physicality and how they're going to attack with that quarterback run game. Does Osceola have some kind of additional curveballs that they can work into that offense? That'll be the other thing that I think could make a major impact in this one. Yeah, and that's what I was just about to talk about is is the curveball aspect of it. Both of these teams, physical run games, um, we, we know Osceola has been lacking in terms of the explosive plays as it's, it's been a lot of Kale Gustafson's legs. How many, how many times can he break tackles on his way um, into the end zone type deal and how, how long does it take a drive to get going? Um, and so I think, I think the kind of wrinkle plays some, some sort of quarterback draw that ends up being kind of like a, a delayed screen pass, some, some sort of goofy play I think is going to be what what's going to take the um what it's going to take in this game for either team I mean BDS as well also lacking kind of the explosive aspect um we we talk about it a lot as we get into playoffs where one one possession of just kind of a, a wrinkle play not, not necessarily a trick play but just something that some sort of counter to what you've been showing all season um where the defense keys in on it and you're able to hit that counterplay is so, so important um, and can be what decides whether your season is done and you're checking in pads next week or if you're moving on and game filming and practicing for the next next round's matchup. So wrinkle play, some sort of explosive play is going to be what kind of decides this one um, and how far can Kale, uh, 
Gustafson carry Osceola is, is going to be the major factor. In the final matchup of the East, you've got the number two Why Not team um, at 8-0. And then you've got number 15, Silver Lake at 5-3. Why Not has some really impressive wins. Um, but, I mean, in, in some of the more heavily favored matchups, they've only almost been kind of caught essentially playing with their food where they don't really kind of put the hammer down on some, on some teams that they really have the ability to. Um, I do want to kind of go back to their game against Howells Dodge, though, where they had a had a pick that kind of kept Howells Dodge in the game, had three massive drops of just really big plays. Um, it seems like for why not, they have a lot of really talented guys to where it seems like um, different nights, it's a, it's a different guy's number gets called. I mean, you talked about um, in that Howells Dodge game, Carson Wiesler was extremely impressive, went over 200 yards receiving. Um, I think it was against Creighton. Jackson Sudbeck um, was the guy that was putting up the numbers in that one. Um, against Bloomfield, it was Dylan Heine um, in the run game, which I don't think anybody expected the the best quarter, arguably the best quarterback in D2 in terms of just pure passer, was going to get it done on the ground um, in that one. So. Guys like Zach Foxhoven have been really explosive for them. Really, I, I just, I'm waiting for the game that they put everything together. I mean, they've put up some some big scores, um, especially against really good defenses like Howell's Dodge, like St. Francis, um, like Bloomfield, where they put up about 30 a game. St. Francis held them down to 14 with some missed opportunities in that one as well. I'm just waiting for the game when all the different offensive pieces are clicking for why not. And they're able to just put up 70 on a really good team because that's what the ceiling of this team has the ability to do. Um, why not's another one that got kind of punished for that Osmond forfeit. Um, really? I don't, I'd have to look at the numbers. I don't know if they'd have actually become the number one team in the East over Johnson Brock, but it would probably would have been pretty close. Um, so maybe not quite a true two seed um, based on their overall resume. Um, they've been, they were our number one team coming into the season. Um, we've got some rankings going to come out here. Um, hopefully I get those done here tonight. Um, otherwise I'll get them done on my lunch break and you guys will see them on Wednesday. Um, little spoiler alert. They're going to be moving back up to number one in D2 for us. So started the season, ended the season number one in terms of our eyes. Um, but really just kind of waiting for them to put the full offensive explosion um, together. Yeah, and you mentioned them being our preseason one and being a team that we feel comfortable putting at number one now at the end of the regular season. And for them to have not kind of achieved that, even for a game, that kind of offensive perfection that we see the talent and see the capability of, and that was really our pitch in the preseason was, listen, this is what they can be. That's why we're putting them preseason number one. They've lived up to and put together a resume to be a top-ranked team even without doing that. And so that still just kind of leaves you wondering, okay, where is it? When does it come? Is it going to come? Because like you said, if if this offense fires really has a game where they're truly firing on all cylinders, they have the horses to put up a Big number on literally anybody. So that's going to do it for the East. Uh, moving on now to the West and the top seed out West. 
located in Bankelman. It is Dundee County Stratton at 8-0. They are hosting number 16 seed Elm Creek at 3-5. We have liked Dundee County Stratton all season long. This is a bona fide title contender with bona fide stars. Ethan Latta, Jackson Kirkle, these guys are monsters. Lane Brown has been awesome at quarterback. They've just been coming along, have the Tigers. We were both a lot higher on Elm Creek coming into this season than where they have ultimately landed with this 3-5 and five record, but they still got themselves into the playoffs. Uh, I don't think that they're in a position to really challenge this Dundee County Stratton team, so the only thing that you really would keep an eye out for, I think, is if Dundee County Stratton has another slow start. We've seen that from them at multiple points in this season, but they're also, with their talent level, have the ability to just maybe flip the switch here as we turn the page to the postseason and just start just hammering people out the gate. Yeah. Um, if, if, if they come out in a slow start, I'll, I'll be a little concerned going into the round two. I, I don't think a slow start hinders them in this one. I think they've got the star power um, in the guys that you just talked about um, to overcome those slow starts like they've been doing here, especially late down through the stretch. Um, you talk about Ethan Lada. He's actually over 1,200 yards on the season. Currently sits at number two um, in terms of rushing production in D2. So um, been proving a lot there. And then Jackson Kershaw is a guy defensively um, that can just kind of take over a game um, at that middle linebacker spot that actually I I think he's built more like a DN, but he just moves so well at that linebacker spot that um, has been really effective for them as well. Um, so yeah, the slow start keeps me more concerned for later on down the road as opposed to just in this game. So something to kind of keep an eye on in that one. Um, in our eight nine game, we've got Boyd County at five and three playing host to number nine Anselmo Myrna at four and four. Um, we thought in the offseason that Boyd County had a chance to make the postseason. Well, they've made it and they get a home game. Um, I'm not positive, but this might be the first time since Lynch joined the co-op. Um, might might be the first time Boyd County's actually gotten to host a playoff game. I'm I'm not 100% on that one. So. At, at the absolute minimum, it's the first time they've had a home playoff game. Like you said, since Lynch joined in 2007, I don't remember if West Boyd was was a home team back in 07 or not. But yeah, this is for the countywide co-op in in Boyd County. This is far and away their most successful season as a multi-town co-op like that and so that's really fun to see yeah and it, and it's really fun to see because they have a lot of guys that are going to be coming back next season too um not losing a ton out the door so um really good to kind of start building momentum for that program we talked about how they've played um multiple different sports um over the last couple seasons just extremely tough like a very good tough mentality um going on over there for the spartans um this is another matchup where there's no common opponents due to ge geography, so um, kind of harder to gauge on paper how this one might go. Um, and Selma Myrna's schedule was an absolute buzzsaw. Um, they lost to Twin Loop early on in the year, then Central Valley, Sandhill, Stedford, South Loop, all all four teams in the playoffs. So um, really just a tough schedule in, in that aspect. Um, they beat some really solid teams, and Mullen, who's also – uh, a higher up seed in the playoffs and then Hyannis as well to kind of get to this position. So um, they've been a pretty battle tested. Um, Boyd County also had some tough, tough teams to play EPPJ Ainsworth. Um, the two that kind of come to mind there. So 
this one's really hard for me to gauge on paper how how it might go um and and really how these two teams match up i actually lean a little bit more towards the coyotes in this one actually yeah, it's it's really tricky, and like you said, I think it's gonna really come down to style of play. If Boyd County can really control the clock, if they can run the ball effectively, if they can just keep this game short, they like to play a shorter possession limited game with that wing T style offense. If the Spartans are able to do that, there's a chance that I think you've got a really really close competitive game, and I think Boyd County is built to win that. If a team wins this by multiple, you know, three plus scores. I think it's in, if Anselmo Murna is able to get the explosive plays and get out and run. Uh, the number four seed in the West is St. Hills Thedford at seven and one. They're hosting number 13, Overton, who is four and four. Listen, St. Hills Thedford's flipped a switch after the South Loop loss. We've talked about it a little bit in the last two weeks' regular shows. They've been absolutely mauling people offensively. Um, they've started using Kyle Cox as a receiver. That's been really, really impressive as well. They are just clearly looked at that South loop loss, saw some of their own shortcomings in terms of that is a title contender. If we want to beat those types of teams, we need to do some different things. They've been doing some different things. They look absolutely terrifying. Overton had to scratch and claw and battle to get this opportunity in the playoffs, but I don't think that they've got the horses to get it done against the Knights. Um, Maybe we'll see some new wrinkles from Sand Hills Thedford to they're, that they're wanting to debut before they get deeper into the playoffs. But other than that, I think you're looking at Sand Hills Thedford just kind of rolling here. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the talent gap in this one is just a little bit too big. Um, and I, I really like um, we talked about it earlier on in the season, how um, some teams, when when they get punched in the mouth, um, they kind of dissolve and don't respond the right way. I think Sandhill Stedford took that South Loop loss, like you talked about, where they kind of looked across the other field and went, that's a title contending team. We're going to have to fix some things. Um, and I think they've done that, especially with their offense, um, using their best athlete and Kyle Cox in multiple different ways um, to get him the ball in space in favorable matchups. So um, curious to see how the usage continues going through the postseason. But I agree. I think, I think, there's just too much going on for St. Hill's Thetford in this one um, to call to kind of give that upset alert in this one. In the 5-12 game, we've got number five Axtell at six and two, taking on a number 12 Loomis team at four and four. Axtell has had some really, really talented kids this season um, and has won some really close games. So um, have been able to respond really well when they get pushed in a contest. Um, Loomis is pretty young though. Um, so they've, and they've also got a little bit, um, of athletic upside with sophomore quarterback, uh, Quay Meyer. So if they can grow up in a hurry here in the, in the postseason, um, the Wolves have a real chance to take on Axtell. Um, but they, they've got to, they've got to do some, get through some growing pains early, um, and really respond as a young team to kind of take on Axtell because I, I think Axtell is actually a little underrated um, over there in the West. I would agree. This Axtell team has legit chops. I mean, you and I put a lot of weight on track performance, but this is a team that looked very strong at Burke last year, and so we both think that that bodes nicely for the overall athleticism that they bring to the field. Loomis was a team whose tape study in the offseason I really enjoyed. I think it's a team whose best days are ahead of them, but I think this is going to, like you said, 
kind of a grow up moment. Let's get some playoff exposure for a very, very young roster for Loomis. Uh, then three seed, ah, the Ainsworth Bulldogs, the three seed in the West at eight and no with Carter Nelson and all the hoopla that comes along with that and everything's swirling there right now. They're hosting number 14, Kennesaw, who's four and four. And I think that hoopla with Carter Nelson is the most intriguing thing to me, not just in terms of the storylines in and of themselves, but how it could affect this game. Because real frankly, this team has done a really great job of just playing through all of the hype and notoriety and everything that comes with having a guy like Carter Nelson on your team. Obviously him committing prior to the season helps this thing be locked up and helps it not be all over the place. But if you're chronically online around Nebraska high school football, the way you and I are and the way I'm guessing just about anybody who's willing to take the time to listen to this podcast is you've seen the stuff with Notre Dame, Carter Nelson, the Nebraska coaching staff was in Ainsworth last Friday. Then Saturday Carter was in South Bend for the USC at Notre Dame game, which was obviously awesome and obviously a great opportunity regardless of his commitment status. If you get an all expenses paid trip to something like that, hard to turn it down. But at the same time, it's generated all this buzz of is Carter uh, waffling. Is he going to potentially decommit? Is he going to potentially flip to Notre Dame? All these things are suddenly swirling where there weren't Carter Nelson rumors or headlines going throughout the season in regards to his recruitment. And so that's a new challenge I think this team has to face. Now, they've got a Kennesaw team that did not beat any playoff teams this year. So just from a talent perspective, I feel pretty comfortable that Ainsworth is going to be able to take care of business here. Kennesaw is kind of positioned just to get some underclassmen into the postseason and get some exposure there to them. But Ainsworth has some off the field ish questions that may or may not wind wind up affecting them. And I really think that's kind of the storyline headed into this one. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll play devil's advocate a little bit here with, uh, with all that hoopla of the whole is, is Carter Nelson going to flip his commitment? We've, we've heard um, kind of some rumorings that, that it's been confirmed that he's not flipping his commitment. So um, maybe this is just some people trying to generate some some different buzz and and distraction a little bit um, to kind of maybe maybe see the the Bulldogs fail a little bit. But he did also just go um, to South Bend and watch a Nebraska kid put on an absolute show for the the uh, Fighting Irish defensively. Um, so maybe he sees hey Nebraska kids can go elsewhere and have some major success so maybe there's a little bit to that but you and I both being former college athletes we both just talked about not that long ago how if we were offered a free trip to go watch two awesome awesome teams all expenses paid we're both taking it regardless of where we're committed because we're both just football junkies so we would have taken the trip maybe it's nothing maybe it's something I don't think it matters in this round but kind of distraction stuff keeps popping up. I'll be interested to see if the Bulldogs are able to kind of keep that in the back of their mind um, and keep the blinders on the way that they have all season. Um, their defense has been extremely impressive and their, and their point differential is just through the roof. Um, so very anxious to see the Bulldogs coming in, coming through the uh, postseason. Hate that we're kind of beating on the publicity type stuff, but in this 314 matchup there's not a whole lot more to talk about in this one so with that being said the number six 
And 11 game is between Twin Loop at five and three, hosting Hitchcock County, who's four and four. Um, seems like only yesterday we watched the Falcons of Hitchcock County hoisting the state championship trophy. It was actually about 330-ish days ago, but still feels like yesterday. Um, we knew it would be really a, a tough task for Hitchcock County to get back to that point this season. Um, and injuries really haven't helped them, um, especially as of late in the season. So um, not not shocked to see them in this position. We thought they had enough talent to get back into the postseason, just kind of where they fell um, a little bit lower due to those injuries. But Twin Loop, three losses, all the extremely good teams, um, and none of them being massive blowouts. I mean, they lost to Mullen, um, San Hill Sedford, and Central Valley. Um, that Central Valley game was in week eight. Um, that was 20 to 58. So as high as we've been on Central Valley that we talked about earlier on, this is a twin loop team who didn't just get fully blown over um, by that potent Central Valley offense. So something a note there to where if twin loop can get through this one, um, maybe they can kind of build some more momentum um, and, and cause some problems in this postseason. Yeah, and I'm excited for Twin Loop. I think they're the better team in this matchup, and they're the type of team with Quincy Riker and all that he brings to the table and what this team has been over these last couple of years. I'm excited for the idea of them potentially getting on the road in the second round and putting a scare in one of the higher-seeded teams. So really like what Twin Loop brings here. Uh, the 7-10 in the West, that is Mullen at 5-3, and three, hosting Hyannis at 4-4. Four and four. This is a rematch uh, for some district opponents Mullen won the first matchup 44 to nothing. Their point differential against some of their other common opponents wouldn't make you necessarily think that it was that big of a gap, but Mullen ultimately really controlled that game. Hyannis started the season hot, playing some teams that maybe weren't playoff caliber, but they started the year 3-0, and had a four-game losing stretch in that really strong district. You, like we said, you got Mullen in there. You probably played South Loop. You've got and, uh, and Somo Myrna, you've just got a quality district that you're dealing with there for Hyannis. And they were able to get a win in week eight over Layton, probably saved their playoff berth with that win. So good on the Longhorns for making it. But for Mullen, Chase Gracie is one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch. Tate Kvanig is a really impressive fullback. The Smolin team is just very sincerely talented, but not deep. They just don't have the bodies. And so are they healthy? Can they just handle just the reps that they're going to have to take against quality teams deeper into the playoffs? How far can they get with the guys that they've got? Because I think the guys that they've got are pretty dang good. Right. And, and and speaking to this matchup, I just don't see a whole lot different coming out of this one, especially where it's a district rematch. Um, both teams got to see each other um, and and have that film study but this is one like we were talking about in d1 where there was a couple district rematches where we just don't see it going differently based on how the outcome went now if this had been say a 44 to let's say 28 win then you you could say okay well they got some positive things they got some things figured out in it they've got a hyannis has got a lot to fix in this one um in order to kind of right the ship so i don't see it going differently in this one like you talked about um, a lot of fun pieces to watch in this one. Um, it's just the depth is what what it's going to come down to. So um, really, really, I just don't see it. I mean, 7-10, you never want to write, write off the 10 seed, but I just don't see it going differently in this one. 
Um, in our final matchup um, over here in the West for D2, you've got the number two South Loop Bobcats at 8-0, taking on number 15, Ansley Litchfield, who's 3-5. and With uh, a one-score game in week eight to make the playoffs, um, this, this is kind of the reward that Ansley Litchfield gets. Um, South Loop has been the overall consensus ranking if you, if you go over on the message boards um, or follow just kind of the, the local news. Um, South Loop's been the number one team in D2 for most of the year, um, I think ever since about week two or three. So has not faltered either. Just really just kind of a rough or a, a weaker schedule has really kind of hurt them in terms of their PowerPoints and pushed them down. Actually didn't push them down as far as we thought it would. Um, so have a little bit of benefit there. I think if, if no upsets occur, I think they end up being right around that that fifth range, fourth range, maybe. Um, actually, it's, it, it'll actually be a little bit higher than that. It might be like three or four. So um, have that going for them. Um, they they felt like they've just been kind of on cruise control through the season, especially in that slow start against Mullen that they had not just a couple weeks ago. Um, but maybe they flipped the switch um, in this one and just kind of say, all right, the whole goal was to get to playoffs beat the teams that beat us last year um kind of through our revenge tour and then get into playoffs um and see what we're really made of um but maybe they don't get up for kind of a slower game um and they don't flip the switch until next week yeah i'm not really sure what else to say about south loop at this point we've both been incredibly high on their roster and what they can be all season long they didn't have a ton within their schedule. Uh, they showed out nicely against a quality Sand Hill Stedford team. They showed out well after a slow start against Mullen. Otherwise, there wasn't a whole lot in terms of tests that came South Loop's way this season. Bobcats look awesome. Don't think that they are, would be a big underdog to anybody in this playoff field. And I don't think that they're going to be with under threat of any real danger here against Ainsley Litchfield. But that's going to do it for D2. This is a good this is a good class, man. I mean, there's probably 10 teams or so, somewhere around that. I haven't counted out. There's probably 10 teams that you could tell me get to the end of this thing on the 20th of November, hoist that championship trophy, and I could say, yeah, I could see a route to that. I could see that happening. This is a wide, wide open field. Doesn't feel like a super upset-heavy first round, but when you've got that many teams that feel like contenders, that kind of leads to them having favorable matchups in the first round, but might set up for an absolute doozy of a second round. Uh, it's been super fun just going through it and getting primed for it. Again, this is the D2 preview. If you're looking for the D1, go back in the podcast feed. If you're looking for a week eight recap from Nebraska Talk Radio, go back in the podcast feed. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast everywhere that you're listening to it. Make sure you're following and interacting with us on X, Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Make sure you're checking out the website, 8by80.com. Make sure you're coming back next week because, like we said, we got all these playoff games this week. We're going to be recapping all of it for Nebraska Talk Radio, and then we're going to be a single big episode, I think, next week to get ourselves primed for the second round of both D1 and D2. But otherwise... Been fun getting ready for it. It's going to be a really fun Thursday. I think that'll do it, and we'll talk to you guys next week. See ya.